Good afternoon and welcome to Mediascope, the programme for and about the public relations, event management and journalism industries. I'm Ellen Gunning from the Irish Academy of Public Relations and you're very welcome to the programme. Now on this week's show I'm chatting with Fiona O'Connor. She's the Director of Corporate Practice with PR Consultancy Drury Porter Novelli in Dublin. Fiona, thanks for taking my call. Good morning, good afternoon Ellen, how are you? I sure am the finest. It's almost a year since we last spoke. It is. I was actually just looking back in my notes because I was trying to remember and I realised, yeah, it's 11 months ago. It's been an interesting 11 months, hasn't it? Well, when I spoke to you, we were sort of heading into the lockdown, the pandemic, the effect on all of your clients, all of the world. And now we're yeah. a year in and so much has happened. It's all. It feels in some ways much longer than a year because it feels like we've been locked down or we've been without travel or whatever for a long time. And yet it's been a real roller coaster. What have you seen from a client point of view? You must have seen phenomenal changes. We, we have. And I, I think we've probably seen some of those changes multiple times. Um, so when we spoke last year, I think people had just everything. There was a bit of a down tool. People were slightly frozen. They weren't quite sure what was going on. Um, and so I think everything kind of stopped for a period of time. And that probably went on for we a few weeks um and then i think people realized look this is going to go on for longer this isn't you know kind of a two-week hiatus this is a longer period so people need to pick themselves back up now where where our clients went from there sort of depended on the industry and the business that they were in as to what the COVID impact was on them particularly okay so for some clients I won't say for, there, was, there was no situation where it was business as usual, but for there were some people where it was more business as usual than others. Um, so that moved forward. We saw over the summer people start to move forward again, uh, and it was a much busier summer, I think, than, tip, than we would typically have had, probably driven by the fact that people weren't taking holidays in the same way. So it was definitely a very busy summer. Um, and then I think when we came back, at, like kind of after the summer, um, September, October, again, continued to be busy. And we saw what a semblance of normality with people going back to kind of their original plans, starting to think about moving stuff, put things forward, also starting to think about where they hadn't achieved business objectives during the year and they needed, you know, they were now heading into Q4 and they needed to think about those business objectives. So we had a very busy year um, overall last year. Um, and particularly, I think the last quarter was extremely busy with people. You know, it, it's, I suppose it's a typical piece where you start looking, okay, what have we not achieved what have we not done for customers, for suppliers? What have we not done for the business? And also, what budgets are there that we need to perhaps um, look at? So we had a very busy um, a busy Q4. It's a very interesting take on the year because it, it mirrors, I think, what other consultancies would have seen and what people would be aware of, that everybody started the year with that frozen, maybe it'll all be over in a few weeks' time, so we just kind of sit it out and we're all on a kind of a little mini holiday and it's not really bothering us all that much. And even from a business point of view, I think the feeling was sure look at if it's going to be three or four weeks we can ride it out um it'll all be over sort of before we know it and then the, the penny began to drop and i think it, your your analysis of the summer getting busy i think is a fair one because i think once businesses realized there was any business at all out there the focus was chase the business get cash flow yeah. get people talking about us again get people buying from us something is happening because everything had frozen and then that it's a very fair point then you come into the end of the year and think so what the heck were we supposed to be doing this year yeah. and how have we i think an awful lot of the businesses the word pivot 
that has been used to death in the past year. But an awful lot of businesses really did have to pivot their focus. Maybe not what so much what they did that have affected some businesses, but I think all had to pivot their focus and think in this new environment, how do we reach people? How do we sell to people? How do we stay relevant to people? Absolutely. I think there was there was a number of, and I, I'd like you, I, I come to despise the word pivot, but um, I think there were a number of changes that, that businesses saw. I think both in terms of how they do business, who they do business with, how they engage their employees, um, and what does, what does kind of, the, now I think we're moving into that where they're trying to think about, okay, what they were thinking for the last year as to how do they operate within the COVID landscape. Now I think businesses are, are sort of slightly moving towards the, well, how do we operate in a post-COVID landscape? You know, having been having manipulated our businesses in certain ways, what do we do once once the, the world goes back to, if you can use the word normal? Um, so I think people are starting to move in that direction. So in terms of reaching people or staying relevant, the whole stay relevant piece really changed over the year, didn't it? I mean, people's idea of what businesses should be and should do and how they should communicate with them were very different last year from the year before. Yeah, I, th- I think when we take the communications piece first, I think one, one piece that was very interesting to see over the, the course of the last year is how people engage with media. Um, and I think that was probably a challenge for a number of our clients in that the media landscape changed very much. Where you would have had, I suppose, you would have had, you know, if you think about even a typical um, news outlet, you know, you've obviously got, you know, they cover a range of, of issues during the day um, and then they will have their business, their politics, etc. So much of that was covered now by COVID, you know, so so the whole COVID discussion, um, the news that that took up some and the impact, the wider impact took some up so much of the media, um, the media portfolios now that, that it became more challenging, I think, to find media opportunities. Oh, that's a very fair year. point. Actually, it was harder for them to get in, even when they had a relevant message or something to say. Exactly. So I think that that was one thing that we that we saw with clients. But that also presents an opportunity because we talk some more about how you use your own platforms. So I think sometimes in the past you'll find um, me, clients tend to think very much in kind of the earned media and they don't always think in the owned media spectrum. So how are they using their own website? How are they using their own LinkedIn? What are their senior leadership team out there talking about? So we were able to get them kind of focused more. A lot, we were working a lot with a lot of clients to get them focused more on that area and thinking about that. So that, how do you get your message out to your customers and how do you engage with people on the platforms that you have more control over? Let me hold you on that one for a yep. second now because mm-hmm. two things strike me with the media. One was, were your clients affected by the fact that all of the research seemed to show that people, there was a move back towards more traditional media. So while social media was still being searched by everyone for information, that whole feeling that you couldn't be sure of where you were getting your information from and was it true or was it fake, did you see a, a move back from your client's point of view even to a more traditional kind of media? I'm not sure that it will last now into the future, but for last year. I think we, well, we definitely saw from the audience that our clients are trying to reach that they were they were embracing um, a lot of, you know, if you think about the growth in, in some of what, as you say, the traditional media platforms, that they were getting great, that they were getting greater engagement from audience. So people wanted to hear what, you know, what was being said on RT, on News Talk, in the Irish Times, in the Irish Independent. So we definitely saw more of that. Um, and what we saw with our own clients, where you are going out with something, there has to be a credibility to it. You know, stuff has to be backed up by research, there has to be insight. So there was probably more, and that's, I think, 
one of the roles that we play as advisors is to bring that external perspective to challenge sometimes clients to say, you know, what is the credibility? What's the point here? What's the message? You know, is it rooted in some sort of insight? Are you bringing something new to, to, to um, the audience that you're trying to reach? So I think that is one of the roles that we play is, is bring is, I think, pushing clients to ensure that when they're out there speaking, that there is a relevance to, to their message. You know, it's really interesting because I've heard so had so many conversations in the early part of this year about the fact that if you're out there as a thought leader, it simply isn't good enough anymore to say, based on my experience, my knowledge, my insight, my gut feeling for the industry, I believe X, that people now say, but give me the data. Yeah. You know, or, or quote Harvard Business Review or tell me who else is saying this. Uh, you're an intelligent, insightful person, but really you're not enough on your own uh, because there's so much news that people can't believe anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes where people fall into the trap with that is they think that that means they have to generate bespoke research. And actually, there's so much data that we already have available um, to, you know, that's at our fingertips. You mentioned the Harvard Business Review, the CSO, the SRI. So there's already research out there that you can look to and see, well, actually, does that support a message that I'm trying to put out there? Um, so I think that, that is a very, very important point. People do need to be, I think businesses need to be very much grounded in evidence-based messaging as opposed I, to simply, you know, what, what my gut tells me. That's fair enough. The, the, there is evidence to support what my gut tells me. My gut is good, but here's the other yeah. evidence. The other yeah. thing you said that seems to be percolating an awful lot through the industry at the moment, um, both from a media perspective and from a PR perspective, is the idea of people using their own platforms, their own outputs outlets where it really hadn't been I, I think even though nobody used the expression brochure websites but I think really an awful lot of clients of yours and other consultancies would have seen their websites as somewhere that people go to and they get information and it wasn't a live active thing really it was almost a repository for what had happened it was almost a historical little book that was kept up to date and now more and more there seems to be a greater drive to bring people partly I think because of fake news um, but partly because of as you say the the outlets for news are much smaller than they were, that companies are suddenly seeing their website as somewhere that they can engage customers, which they hadn't done before, I don't think. No, I completely agree. I think the, the website has started to become much more of a, a resource for people and um, beyond simply checking, you know, in the, in, for example, in the case of a retailer, not just checking opening hours and the phone number. So I think it has become mm. something that companies are using much more to put forward, you know, to use that expression, thought leadership. Um, I also think that there is what we, one of the areas that we're working very closely with clients across those, whether it's a website, whether it's media piece, um, whether it's LinkedIn, is thinking about how you can make your content work as much as possible for you. Uh, I think what you have seen in the past is sometimes a clients would, the press release would be issued. It would go out to media and that's the only place it would go. Whereas, you know, you now we're pushing people, why isn't that on your website? Why aren't you, isn't someone um, creating a LinkedIn blog? Why aren't you tweeting about it? So doing more with that, and I think that was, you know, in the past, we would have found clients would have been kind of compartmentalized when they thought about their communications channels. They would have thought, well, that's over there for media. And then this is what I'm going to do in social media. And then this is what I'm going to do on the website. Actually, what you're saying is, you know what, that messaging has to be consistent. And also from a resourcing point of view, you need to be making your content work across all of those platforms. 
it makes a huge amount of sense from a resource point of view. I think the other thing is that there's less for companies to talk about in a COVID environment. And that must partly be driving it as well, where you had, I'm really conscious of all of the different occasions where people would have been speaking at conferences or attending events. And From a social media point of view, even, there were always these things that you could pop up and say, we were here, you know, our director did X. They all closed down during the year. So it became more important, I suppose, to splice and dice all of the content and get maximum benefit from it. No, absolutely, you're absolutely right there. Um, I think the, the events piece is, is actually one that's really interesting because you're right, they did um, close down for a period of time. But what we saw over the summer is virtual events start to kind of develop again. Um, and I think there's been a real, there's a real opportunity there. So we've had a number of events for clients that have created, these would have been events that they ran every year and that have now you know, to use the word again, have now pivoted mm-hmm. from being a real life event into a virtual event. And there are loads of advantages to that. You know, you it, it firstly it opens you up geographically. You you know, you have the opportunity for more people to attend. It's not a case where you need to get two hundred people into a venue in a, in Dublin, Cork, Limerick, Galway, wherever. Now you can open it up to it's much easier for people to attend. You can open it up, up internationally. Um you obviously miss out on the networking piece. And that I think when I talk to clients, that's one thing that and even our own team, that's one thing that people are really missing out on, that human oh, networking. I think that's piece. the biggest, biggest gap for everybody that just have all those sidebar meetings and talking to people over a cup of coffee let me break you there and take a quick commercial break I'll be back to you right after this You're listening to The Mediascope Show with Ellen Gunning on 103.2 Dublin City FM Welcome back. I'm chatting with Fiona O'Connor, the Director of Corporate Practice at PR Consultancy Drury Porter Novelli. As usual, Fiona, when we get chatting, we could chat for like five hours and we still wouldn't have covered all the things we want to cover. Let me take you to internal comms a bit because we've been looking externally until now. Internal comms seems to have become much, much more important in the last year because of my thinking is because of the social isolation of people. I think absolutely. I think there's probably two parts to that. I think it's probably partly um, pro- um, professional, partly um, personal. So if we think about the kind of professional piece, I think the engagement piece is really important to keep teams functioning together, to keep work moving on, to help you know employees to understand priorities. So to keep that piece, those those conversations that happen so easily when you're all physically together, now you have to work in them. So I think that from that point of view, the internal comms is very important, particularly from you know the top down to make sure that that everybody who's out there working remotely understands what the business priorities are, what the vision is. And and as the things have changed over the years and companies have had to flex and adapt, ensuring that there is an understanding of what that means. And then the second part, which you've referred to there, is also equally important, which is the personal piece, which is how we do we ensure that people are being supported, they're being looked after, they're being cared for, and that there is there's an enjoyment to work. I mean, you know, Work can't just be about sitting at your desk for, you know, seven, eight, nine, whatever hours a day and just and delivering. It has to also be about getting something back from it. And I think that's where internal comms is very important. It's about ensuring that we are giving people back something and that we're engaging with them. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely it's been a key priority for a lot of companies now. And I think that probably kicked in later because um, most companies, I, reasonably, I suppose, looked at, well, if staff are now remoting, we need to make sure that from a professional point of view, they have access to everything they need and they're well set up at home. And it, it, it was functional. It was make sure that everybody can continue to do their job in this silo, in this vacuum. And a huge number of us can do that 
that nowadays anyway. Yeah. Pretty much without ever needing to walk into an office. And it was almost as if that personal piece came afterwards. Either that piece where if I met you in the corridor that I could say to you, by the way, I'm thinking of doing X for this client. What do you think? And almost as you were walking to the coffee machine, you could say, no, no, they'll hate that idea because of why. And it was done. Um, So I I get that that kind of professional interlink needs to be done. What have you found yourself doing in terms that's different in internal comms to what you would have done before? Um, Well, look, I think a lot of it has been just how we use the team meetings. So we have daily team meetings, which we wouldn't have had before. We would have had, you know, a couple of all agency groupings during the week. But now they operate on a daily basis. Um, just to make sure that, and those those conversations are part business, but actually there is much. You know, it's a fifteen minute chat between a group of us. It's as much as you know what what's going on with you. How yeah, that life, personal bit are. is so important as well. Very yeah. much so. Very much so. So you know, those fifteen minute conversations could be fourteen minutes of personal, one minute of business. It, but it's just to touch in and to engage with people. Um, we've, you know, since for the last couple of months, we've started um, a monthly catch up where there's a recognition piece. So that's across the agency where we get together as a group on a Thursday evening, very much relaxed, very much informal. You know, obviously it has to be done on Zoom or Teams, but it's very informal. And then we take that opportunity to recognise colleagues for some of the work that they've done over the course. So again, it's to just reward people, to just you know, communicate to people. Yeah, you know, we know you're out there working in your own your own little wherever it is, your house, your apartment, wherever you are. But we, like we're all still part of a team, so it's trying to still communicate that team piece. Um, and look, I think we were we're a small um, operation. You know, we're twenty five people, um, and we've always had a, a we have a flat hierarchy. We're all very much engaged with each other. So I think from our point of view, that's translated quite well. You know, in that in that we can we work in cross client teams. So there's there's an opportunity really to talk to people and many people throughout the day. So we do that. So um, I think that has definitely helped with the engagement piece. But you have to keep working on it. Because and otherwise what about from a, a client point of view? Have you found yourself putting in new structures for clients? Um, I think a lot of clients are looking at different options and have been over the last while. To, you know, they, What we've seen um, happen is some people go to technology, the likes of WorkVivo or Slack or things, different pieces, and but also using them not just on for the, 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 I suppose the business side of it, but also for the personal side of it and managing conversations and that. Um, and what we've worked with people on is things like internal town halls, um, developing out messaging, thinking about what that cadence is of communication during the year. So almost working out, as you might do with your social media, for example, where you kind of, what does your monthly internal comms piece look like? How often are you communicating? What are you communicating about? How are you cascading down and using your, um, using the kind of the, the different levels of management to, to bring the messaging down? So and I think we're working. Sorry, I'm cross-talking now, but have you found any challenges from senior management in large organisations? And I'm not thinking that they'd be challenged about doing it. I'm sure they'd be more than willing. But challenged in terms of the communication piece for them then becomes very different because they're used yeah. to, to dealing to sort of very senior chief exec or board level to very senior board level. And now suddenly they're trying to cascade down a message in much simpler language. And I don't mean that in an insulting way, um, but language that everybody can buy into. Have you been challenged in that way at all with clients? Um, no, not so much in that way. I think the challenge often for internal communications from senior people is as much about time 
Um, and you, I think you have to be respectful of, you know, senior leaders' time that, you know, that you make sure that you're using it in the most effective way, whatever you're asking them to do. So I think oftentimes that can be the challenge is finding the time within their diary, making sure that it's happening regularly. Um, there's no, I think there's nothing worse that you can do than make a big splash of internal comms, you know, one month and then there's nothing. Oh, yeah, for and then it stops. Time. Yeah, exactly. There, ha- there has to be a process to it. Um, so it's finding that time and ensuring you're using that time wisely. And then working with senior, what, what often I find, and it's not a challenge, but I think it's often a concern with senior leaders, and that they are going out there and communicating, that they're not just getting the business message right, but they're also getting their own message right. That it is that when they're going out there and speaking, they're doing it in a way that it, that, that is, suits their personality, that yes. they're allowed to bring a bit of personality. That feels like them, yeah, it's that exactly, they're actually talking to you. Again, to use kind of an overused word, it's authentic. You know, it's 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 relevant to it's relevant to people, but it also represents who they are as a leader. Well, I was actually smiling when you said finding the time because it's always been difficult to find time for senior leaders to find time with senior leaders because they're very busy and they're very scheduled and they're very good at what they do. But I think they're even busier in the pandemic. I think it must be even tougher to try and find time to get that little chip into a window. Uh, before we, I let you go. I have to ask you about the changes within your own. Consultancy. You said you're a team of 25. You had a management buyout uh, last year. And I'm, I'm just wondering, is this a new trend that I haven't got the finger on the pulse of? What What was the idea behind it? What was the rationale behind it? Because both yourselves and Weber Shambic have done the same thing in the past year. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it is a trend or not. Um, so for us, it was an opportunity. We um, have been part of the Portion of Valley. We had been part of the Portion of Valley family since 2014, and we had looked actually. And I'm uh, sorry, part of Omnicom, who owned Portion of Valley for I think almost 20 years, we had looked for the opportunity before to um, to take the business independent, and it wasn't the right time. So the opportunity presents itself in the middle of the summer um, to become independent, and like look. There were benefits for many years to being part of a large global consultancy, but actually there's also a massive um, uh, advances to being independent and it gives us an agility, gives us an opportunity to think about the business in different ways. Um, you know, we're looking kind of at our structure, at how we resource. There's lots of opportunities, I think, to think about how we, we operate going forward. It gives us an opportunity to be much more responsive, I think. Um, and although we have... But that we've now become independent. That relationship with Portion of Valley actually hasn't ceased. So we will continue to have kind of a, an affiliate relationship with them ongoing. So we, in some ways, we still are their representatives here in Dublin, but actually we have our independence. So it's, it's actually the best of both worlds in many ways. Do you um, know the strange thing? I introduce you at Drury Portion of Valley. Is that the way you're still trading? No, we're we're now Drury. You're Drury. Okay. Yeah. OK, yeah. I, I actually meant to check that with you earlier on. You were you were very indulgent of me not to slap me around and say, no, yeah. you've got it wrong. Well, um, well, do you know they, what they I was wondering, because, though? You know, it takes a while sometimes to let go, let go of a name. It does. No, we're very, we're very definitely a very proud literary. And what I was wondering was, too, like, the pandemic has put, has maybe changed the focus of companies in that we were always talking about the, the larger PR consultancies. They had a, a global reach. They had um, local boots on the ground. But you went to a larger consultancy because of that global reach. Do you think maybe there's a change now that it's becoming, there's more of a local focus? By local I mean either Irish or European, I don't mean particularly small but more niche focus? Um, I don't know about that. What I do think is that um, with technology and that there's probably no longer 
the same need. Now, I'm not saying there isn't, but the same need for the larger organisations to have a full-scale office in each location. You know, you can have, as we have, which is that partnership arrangement, where you do have local boots on the ground. So for the likes of Portion of Valley, they have a connection, they have a partner in Dublin. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, for us, it gives us that independence and innovation. I just think technology has changed, it changes the way people work. And there is a, an element of what works for different organisations. So I think one thing you'll notice in the PR industry is there's a range of operators from, you know, from sole traders, right up to larger agencies and everything in between. And I think each of those probably offers something different. Um, and for us, as I've said, we took this opportunity. We still have the, the global reach through Portion of Valley. We still have that, that relationship there, but we have our own independence and opportunity to, to look. We've always had the local knowledge, but just to be more agile and more responsive for our clients. Well, we're going to have to make this an annual check-in, OK? So that by next year, <laughs> we know, is it a trend or was it just something that happened out of the blue? Tell me what you think think is likely to happen in terms of communications now with companies post-COVID? Because you were saying that the focus last year had all been on really surviving COVID and how do, what do we do? And the end of last year, companies were beginning to look to, OK, what were the business objectives? What should we be looking to do in the coming year? What are the challenges for them now coming out of COVID? Because it looks like we'll be about 18 months, I suppose, before we emerge into whatever becomes the new future. Yeah. Well, I think if you look beyond COVID, there are other challenges that are out there. I mean, one of them that hasn't gone away is climate change. And I think what we've seen over the last number of years is and is companies making commitments in regards to their climate change actions, whether that's commitments on sustainability and becoming carbon neutral, and they've put timings in place. For many of those, those timings were 2025 or 2030. Some of them, obviously, bigger scale changes out to 2050. And I think those, they're going to need to think about how are they delivering against those Climate change is going to, going to become increasingly to the fore. It's already incredibly important, but I think the demand and the expectations from the public are only going to rise. So companies are going to need to think about how am I performing against those commitments? You know, and how can I go out there now and talk about what we've achieved? And, and are those commitments changing? You know, so that I think is going to be very important. And then feeding into that, the whole growth of ESG, you know, environmental, social governance, those expectations, again, from the public as to how you're doing your business, how you're running your business. Um, and companies are already starting to talk about that. It's quite very important in the financial services world, but I think that's going to become increasingly important across all industries. So public expect- expectations will continue to be high and companies will have to be communicating as to how they're meeting them. And reflecting that uh, public expectation, will um, employee expectations change, do you think? I think so. I think it will be interesting to see, um, you know, we, we came into this this um, this pandemic with actually, well, if you think about the local market, with quite low um, unemployment. And there was the, the bargaining power was definitely very much on the employee side. I think how the employee-employer relationship changes, I think, will depend a little bit by industry. But I think there will definitely be expectations from employees as to how the where, where they go to work, how, the, how their employer operates. Um, and there will be expectations that they are you know, they are committed to think to elements like sustainability, to like good governance, um, that there is ongoing communication. I think the, 
the internal communication piece is not going to end once we all go back into whatever type of working pattern that we have. There's still going to be an expectation that communication stays. My personal theory is that the employee change, the biggest employee change will be that employees say, this is how I would like to work. Can yeah. you make it fit for me? And I, I think in that sense, the bargaining chip will move. Fiona O'Connor, as usual, I could talk to you forever. Thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. I really enjoyed those insights. Thanks very much, Alan. Hopefully the next time we get to chat, it might be in person. 2022 is in the diary already and the coffee will be on the brew. Thanks, Fiona. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) Well, now, that's all I have for you for this week. What an interesting insight into the world of PR, pre and post pandemic. If you've information you'd like to share with listeners or a good story to tell, flash me an email, mediascope at dublincityfm.ie. And don't forget, you can hear podcasts of this and previous Mediascope programmes on www.irishacademy.ie. I'm Ellen Gunning. Sound this week was by Fergal Daly. My thanks to Fiona O'Connor from Drury and thanks to you for being with me today. I look forward to the pleasure of your company at the same time next week. Until then, goodbye.